Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, our last installment for 2021. This is Jim Mitchell, and uh, as we look at liberty and the law topics each month, um, I get assistance from Attorney James Dore at LaBelle Law, who uh, is obviously central to these discussions, and we'll talk about topics. And sometimes uh, as I look into them, I learn a lot. Um, I am better informed, um, get a lot of information, and sometimes you just scratch your head when you read about these things. And today, I, I think we got a head-scratcher, Jim. I, I, this is an amazing topic, and uh, I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with you about it. Oh, I'm glad, Jim. You know, that some of these things are – are very interesting, you know, whether or not you're to follow the law or, or involved in law or interested at all in the law. This is just one of those things like, huh, I didn't, I didn't know that the police could do that. So like you said, it is a head scratcher. I, I agree, Jim. Yeah. So we're talking, we're going to talk about civil asset forfeiture. Um, we always throw out legal terms here, draw things from laws or statutes or cases. So when I say civil asset forfeiture, what, what are we talking about in general? Civil asset forfeiture is the uh, legal action through which uh, the government or, or through police generally uh, sees assets uh, that they suspect is linked to some sort of criminal activity. Um, the assets could be cash, uh, cars, property, real estate even. And the, the criminal activity could be either the, the, the proceeds of a crime or it's an instrument of the crime, you know, such as a a uh, car could be involved in the crime. They want to seize a car, right? Something like that. So that, that's what we're talking about with civil asset forfeiture. Generally, police activity to seize um, that sort of the, the sort of assets that they think is related to criminal activity. And you and I often talk about the warrant process, having to be able to get a warrant before certain actions take place. Um, are there any precursors to? civil asset forfeiture for the police? Are there certain things they have to do before they can take assets, or is it just part and parcel of, of their investigation in certain ways? I, you know what? There's statutes and governing things in the, all across the United States, but generally, no. The police seize the assets first, and then that starts the procedure where by, um, the judicial system will uh, analyze those claims and either allow it to go through or not. So I said this this is going to be a, an interesting topic, and, and so first five two minutes here we're talking, and people go, yeah, there's there's crimes committed, uh, the criminals have certain assets, they, you know, the police confiscate those in the process. We're we're not really going down that path today. We're going to start with a specific case, and then we'll get back to more general discussion. But let's talk about this case of an air traveler uh, who is from Chicago, um, who was stopped in the Dallas airport. Give me. Give us an overview of what happened there, and then we're really going to get into this. You know, it's funny, Jim, because I sent you the article on this, and I'm trying to get some real specifics on this, but the Dallas police won't answer uh, the request made by the reporter from the column that I, I sent to you. But I know we have a 24-year-old uh, female traveler from Chicago. She was detained in Dallas, and because a, a drug dog – now, we know the name of the drug dog. It's, it's Valentine, I guess, is the name of the drug, the canine <laughs> officer – who detected this large amount of cash. And what it was in the suit, in, in um, the traveler's suitcase, 
she had basically a couple of items. She had some blankets and some bubble wrapped cash. And cash was over a hundred thousand dollars. It was hundred and I forget what it was, about eight eight thousand um, dollars. And that cash was seized, but she was never arrested. She was actually allowed to continue and travel on her way. So um, I've looked for some more facts of this one, uh, Jim, but I haven't found it yet. But that's that's what we have. Um, so the, the were, were Dale, any charges uh, filed? I mean. Any 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 charges filed? Any form of, of no, criminal no, activity? No. That the, reason, the reason it became an issue because they, 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 the uh, Dallas Police Department put out it on their Twitter feed, the table full of cash and the dog standing on top of it, and they were kind of braggadocious about it. But then the questions start coming in, like, what was she arrested for? We don't have any charges filed, right? And that's some of the problem with the civil asset forfeiture. Is a lot of times there doesn't need to be a criminal charge filed or even, a con, you know, much less a conviction uh, uh, sustained by the court, right? And is there any – I think you said the amount of cash was was considered to be suspicious. I, you know, fair enough, a person walking around with, uh, with $100,000 in cash. But is there any evidence beyond that, anything that police had to point to that made them feel it was appropriate for them to, to claim this cash? I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything from that, Jim. But I've seen this a number of times where um, just large amounts of cash in and above itself is enough, right? Um, I've seen travelers that, that, that had their cash seized from their car. One example would be a, a professional poker player who needed cash to enter professional uh, 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 you know, tournaments. And the buy-in was typically $10,000 cash. And that was exactly why... <clears throat> that person would travel that, that amount of money. Typically, that person's also paid out in cash. So, again, cash is the one that cash is deemed suspicious, which is odd because it's all labeled as legal tender, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> interesting point. Great point. Um, so, when those assets are taken, uh, besides getting a, a Twitter post, what what happens to the cash, or maybe car, or home, whatever it might be? What the police have it? What happens then? Again, it depends on what's seized and how it's seized. But typically, once it's seized, there's a there's a process by way by whereby the person who had their property seized can challenge that seizure in court. Okay, um, and 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 that's what we're talking about here is, is, is some of that process. It's very difficult. Like this woman from from you know from Chicago who's traveled to Dallas. You know, she's going to have to go back to Dallas to, to fight this. She's going to have to, to hire a local attorney there to fight this. Um, but at this point, you know, it, 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 we don't know why it was seized. So it's hard to say what she has to do to, to get it back. Um, you know, we need a context, right? Yeah. Cash is seized for being cash. Okay, well, we don't have the underlying reason for it. So, again, she's a little bit off balance just by how this happens. Sure. Now, we'll have another couple of cases to talk about here, but in reading about these and what you had shared and what you're just saying, when this happens, no charges filed um, that we know of, um, no record of any criminal activity by the person, yet they now have the burden on them to go back and somehow prove that they are not guilty of anything by having the cash, which, you know, there's the old adage we've always lived by guilty until proven innocent right um or innocent until proven guilty is is what we know this seems to be the opposite 
Right, exactly, Jim. Uh, the burden is on the property owner, right? And this is in civil court. So you don't have the same protections you would in a criminal courtroom. Criminal courtroom, just like you suggested, Jim, the prosecution has to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, right? And the, the, the defendant does not even have to take the stand, right? The defense doesn't have to prove the defendant was innocent. The prosecution has to prove that that defendant was, in fact, guilty and specific to what the crime is, specifically charged and proved to that. We hear the, the burdens on the property owner to prove that they should not be permanently deprived of the property that the government's seeking to forfeit, right? It, it, it completely it, you know, flips it around, and this is supposed to come from a criminal case, right? This is supposed to be fighting criminal activity, but you're not. They do this in a way that doesn't allow people to have the same protections that the criminal legal system provides. Well, and that's what we talk about often here on Liberty and the Law. I'm with uh, Attorney James Dore of LaBelle Law. And, um, boys, I said this is the last podcast of the year. We have several years of these archived at LaBelleLaw.com. Um, each month, uh, James Dore shares time with us to talk about various cases, various statutes, laws, um, anywhere from, from local jurisdictions up to the Supreme Court. And I encourage you to visit LaBelleLaw.com to download some of those podcasts and listen um, to the various uh, things that we had the chance to talk about. Um, in addition to the, uh, the case from the air traveler um, down in Dallas, we also had uh, Melinda Harris in Massachusetts who, uh, in her case, uh, a car was apprehended by the police. And, boy, she had a heck of a time trying to get that back, didn't she? That's true. And this is a typical scenario where, where somebody has, somebody's uh, allowed somebody to use their car and the user of the car is engaged in some criminal activity. But the person who owns the car is completely uh, oblivious as to what this activity that's going on. In this case, it happened to be uh, a mother whose son was suspected of selling drugs. But I don't, again, I don't know if he was ever arrested for it, how that happened. But her infinity was, was forfeited by the police, and she finally got it back after years of trying to challenge. Um, again, this is Massachusetts. I can't tell you exactly the context. I know she eventually got some uh, a legal team on it. And when they wrote a letter, then the car was quickly returned in about a week's time. So, the moral of that, that story is you do you should get an attorney to look at these uh, to see what remedies are available because it's very specific to um, to the to the criminal activity that's alleged by the police. Um, but in this case, it, it's a car, and a car is very common. Usually, you'll see um, people of Illinois versus. It'll say 2005 uh, Pontiac GTO, VIN number, and then they list the VIN number. So there's no criminal, there's no defendant that's listed, such as a criminal case, the property listed, or it be versus cash, a certain amount of cash, right? So it's odd how these cases uh, work their way through the system, especially for an innocent owner who is not a defendant and is not a vehicle a number or a amount of cash, this is somebody coming in as an innocent owner of the property saying, I'd like to have my property back. I've done nothing wrong. That's yeah. where Eclipse and have to prove they've done nothing wrong. And I certainly want to you know, make that clear because I, I think we're in agreement as well that when there is a crime committed and it's, it's found and, and proven and goes through the, the process, um, it's, it's not uncommon then that those assets are, are – seized from the defendant who is found guilty, as you said, perhaps a drug dealer, a car, or, you know, cash used in those deals. We're not talking about those circumstances here, no objection to that. But what we're looking at are, are situations where people have no charges against them and, and the police just have and keep keep these assets, right? 
we were looking for fairness in, in, in the system, fundamental fairness, some, some balance between you know, a, a person who's had their property seized and then the government that they have to fight, right? I mean, it, the, the government has unlimited assets, right? And, 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 and there's a person with, you know, less assets in the government and, and, and has to um, fight a system that's, you know, somewhat set up against that person. And, and just so listeners don't think we're railing at local jurisdictions in Dallas, Massachusetts, or, or federal government, we can even look to uh, New Zealand with uh, one last case we'll talk about. And um, there, I guess, a law was broken during during the pandemic and that someone ordered some food out from a restaurant that wasn't allowed to be open. Um, but even whether it's $100,000 in cash, a car, or in this case, Kentucky Fried Chicken, it uh, it was seized. Well, this is a person. They were they were arrested for being outside of whatever what their COVID zone was, right? So somebody had left the, the the city of Auckland, which is the biggest city in New Zealand, and they went out of that jurisdiction. And they, they had a truck full of KFC. Uh, they had cash. You know, they were suspected drug dealers too. And I'm you know suspected is one thing, but if you look yeah. at how the stop ha- stop happens because somebody was outside of his zone, is being forced for these COVID lockdowns that they had, right? That was the sole basis. And then there's no other. Uh, illegal activity. There's no drugs in the car, right? There's no, you know, the, the the typical things you'd see with drug actions. Anything. It was just the cash and the and the chicken. It was all seized. And it makes a funny headline, but you know, the truth is, it, it, it's 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 scary that these these COVID lockdowns now are being used as a way to make these stops and seizures. Yeah. Well, before I let you go, and, and we we've kind of had a little fun with this, but uh, let's go back to what you said earlier. If if someone finds himself in this situation, um, uh, an attorney is, is, you know, the right place to go. It's, it's the right step. What, what would you want to do to help someone in, in this instance? Well, like any other case, I want to talk to my client first. I'll sit down and talk at the details, and I want to see what kind of deadlines, if any, are there in order to file whatever action. Some things require a bond to be posted, uh, paperwork to be filed, and there's deadlines. So right then you want to screen for what's what's being seized, how fast do we have to act on this. Well, hopefully as uh, people listen, this is not a circumstance they're going to find themselves in. But as always, um, Attorney James Dore takes some time to join us today. Thank you, James, for doing that. Um, um, a wide variety of conversations, as I said, uh, a little more fun today, but, but very serious for those who are impacted. And um, we run the gamut on these conversations. So visit LavelleLaw.com, look up Attorney James Dore, and on his profile page you will find links to all of the podcast as well as articles, uh, videos, and a lot of other great content. Uh, James, thanks for being here. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to everyone who is listening, and we look forward to uh, 2022 conversations coming up starting in a few weeks. Thanks for being here.